Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Runaway Brains with A and K. That stands for Autumn, and Kaylin is on a little bit of a hiatus right now, as y'all know. But the show must go on, the podcast must continue, and here we go. I've got a very, very, very special guest, special because she's my first non-musician, and, 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 I've known her for, like, maybe my whole life. I think maybe my (laughs) whole life, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, not your whole life, but my whole life. Because you were friends with Sarah when I was like seven also because, or wait, no. How old would I be? No, because then, what, what, what? Me and, whatever. Probably my whole life. (laughs) Me and Sarah met in seventh or eighth grade. So whenever that is for you, however old you are By the time I was conscious enough, I think I've known you. Right, so pretty much, we can just say the whole life, pretty much. (laughs) So I've got on here, we've got Chelsea Coleman. Calman or Coleman? I should know this for someone who's known you for so long. <laughs> Coleman is my maiden name. I knew it was Coleman. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's up? <laughs> uh, she's married. Yeah. She, someone loves her. That's what's that like. <laughs> it's got its benefits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so today we have two main topics that we're going to be chilling on. And it is two topics that often go hand in hand, ADHD and and boobs. So we're going to start. <laughs> ADHD, more like ADHD, am I right? I thought of that a few days ago and I was like, oh, that's killing. Gotta hang on oh, to that that's one. killing. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that for when it's ready. But anyways, yeah. So Chelsea here recently got my dream come true, which is a boob job. <laughs> and so we are going to start by, tell me how that whole thing went down, eh, Chels? Okay, this is, actually, this is a very interesting story. When I was younger, I really, really wanted a, bo- a boob job. Like, I always felt yeah. so flat-chested, and I've always kind of said, like, I'm a pretty curvy girl, minus the boobs. Like, I am like, I have the curves everywhere else. I have the hips and the butt and all that, but I'm just flat chested. And it didn't make sense with my body. And when I was younger, I was super- So unfair. Right. When I was younger, I was so self-conscious about it and I hated it. And like, I just wanted to change it so bad. And as I got older and- I ended up becoming a health and mindset coach, which means when you're working on mindset, you're working on body image, right? Like loving your body as it is. So I got to this point where I was totally okay with what my body was, was in full acceptance of it. And of course, that is when the opportunity would come up to get a boob job, right? So (laughs) like sometime last year, my mom asked me, this is actually, this is, Probably not most people's boob job stories, but my mom was getting, she wanted to get a breast lift and reduction because every woman in my family has big boobs, except for me. She wanted to get a lift and reduction. And she said, would you want to get a boob job, get implants at the same time and we can recover together? And I was like... Well, oh, dang, I haven't thought that. about that in years, but yes, I would love to do that. So that's what we ended up doing. It's a sign. It was a it was sign. A sign. And also, I feel like that's totally when things happen, when you're not in resistance to them anymore and you like don't really care yeah. about it that much. And then it just like happens, you know? And honestly, I'm so happy with it. It was the best decision ever. I freaking love them. So... 
So yeah, that's how that happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. It's like you know, yeah. Things happen when you're not looking for them, or like you find the things that you've wanted when you're not looking for them. Totally. And that happens when they're at the right time. I believe in this sort of like balance in the universe in some ways mm-hmm. with things like that. Do you believe but in yeah, like no? Manif- I oh sorry. <laughs> with two people no, first. With we ADHD. have a bad lag we got a big lag oh yeah. no and I was gonna say also with two people with ADHD there might be interrupting so I apologize for that <laughs> so are you a believer in manifestation and that kind of stuff I here's the thing is that I'm Sarah made me really superstitious but also I've always felt like I was someone who had bad luck or like bad timing mm. and I, I get in my head a lot and I question everything and I I always say to myself I've been switching between this place of like having low expectations because sometimes if I have high expectations and I have all these fantasies and like Mm -hmm. these hyper optimistic like visions, not visions, but like this image in my head of like how I want things to go, a lot of times it doesn't happen or it falls flat and then they become disappointed with something. And then so I don't know the difference between like manifesting or just like fantasizing about what I want to happen. Totally. So then sometimes I'm like, it's hard for me to manage my expectations when I am such an imaginative person. And like, I think that comes from creativity and it comes from like, so, so it does have its benefits, but it has its benefits within the confines of my own artwork. Like it's my creativity and my imagination is like, I can utilize it with things that I create, but in the outside world, it's a hindrance and it can be, you know, to my own detriment. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes, you know, with expectations, if they're not met, you sometimes place the blame on other people or you become resentful of other people. And it's, it's really hard to like, cause I don't want to push people away. So I had to sort of, so as far as man, to answer your question, because uh, runaway brains, no, my I, brain is just like <laughs> running away off the track. No, and so is mine. I have so much I want to say to that. Oh my gosh. Okay, because no, I used to be in the exact same place as you and I relate so much. Like I get obsessed with things and when it comes to manifestation. So one of the best things I ever did was hire a manifestation coach. Like I did a group program and she was awesome because it was basically just working on your mindset. All of those things you explained, she would help us kind of work through that. So a big concept that she taught us was like, when you're so obsessed with something that you're going to be really unhappy if that outcome doesn't come true that you're wanting, like you're depending on that for something. You have so much resistance built up in that, that like, you're almost like, it's almost like trying to make a relationship happen with somebody, right? Like when you're like obsessively texting them and you're like, hey, hey, you didn't respond. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know? And they're like, ah, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of strangled. Very guilty of that. Very guilty of (laughs) that. Well, and so it's like, it's just kind of about releasing it and saying, and that's honestly what I've noticed with so many things that it just comes when I've almost forgotten about it, like the boob job. And it's actually funny. This is another random thing. Also have a runaway brain. So I remember when I was like, probably your age, like 23, I'm 30 now. I was dating a guy and we were talking about engagement rings and I wanted a pale yellow diamond engagement ring. (laughs) And like, I had almost forgotten about that until, and, but now I'm married and that was the kind of engagement ring I got, you know? And it's just like, but it's like, you look back and you're like, oh dang, I had completely, sometimes it's just about being like, okay, if it hasn't happened yet, then maybe it's still going to happen in the future or Maybe it's not meant to happen because something better is coming along. So that's like a phrase that I've tried to trade my brain to, to say is like this or something better, right? There's a reason 
I think the reason that I wasn't able to get my boob job when I was younger is because I had a lot of opportunity to work on my body image, you know, like I had years to work on my body image and get okay with myself because changing our body doesn't change our body image pretty much at all. You know, if anything, it's like pretty temporary. You know what I mean by that? Like it's the mental work we have to do. Yeah. So what you're saying before about like reminding yourself of these things and people sort of underestimate how much you can like train your brain to do things and like get into these habits and like practice, like your brain is a muscle. And I think Mm -hmm. it's one of our most powerful muscles. And it's the one that has the most control over everything, like everything else going on. And it can like positive reinforcement and like, yeah, practicing these healthy habits. And before you know it, they become routine and you're in your mind and they sort of, and what you were saying before about like the engagement ring thing, I do believe in those perfect full circle moments. I've had a lot of those in my life of those like full circle, like years and years later. And a lot of it to me is about patience. And like, I've been working on beforehand, like accepting the outcome. And I'm like, okay, Autumn, like have this little fantasy. And I've also come to the realization that like, hey, enjoy this fantasy within for what it is, because the fantasy is always better than the real thing. Like pretty much always. So I'm like, hey, just live in this fantasy right now. Don't project it onto real life. Like it's not going to happen. And if it does, then, oh my God, amazing. Like that's awesome. But enjoy and accept like what is reality and what is fantasy. And so the brain is, is such a powerful thing. And what you were saying before about like trying to force a relationship and like wanting to text, like I overanalyze all these things. Like if I'm waiting a long time for a response from someone and maybe after there was like some kind of argument, I will think in myself, I'm like, oh, like they're giving me the silent treatment to punish me and I'm so mad at them. And then I'll switch and be like, wait, what if this isn't about me? Like, what if this is my fault? And now I'm putting so much pressure on them. Right. And then it's like goes to like self-blame. And then I'll go back to like, okay, well, maybe I'm making a big deal out of this. And it's literally just like they're busy. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, I'll circle back to like, no, they're doing this on purpose. Like, this is cruel of them. I can't believe they're doing this. Like this vicious cycle and it's so hard to get out of that when you really, really care about and love someone and you want to know what's going on and, like, you want to know, like, the truth of why things are happening. And it is so hard. to. It's like I will get distracted by the things I want to ignore and then that'll distract me from things that I shouldn't be, like, distracting myself for. Like, mm-hmm. it's hard to distract myself from those things that are distracting me. It's like this weird like paradox. You get obsessed kind of. Yeah. And and I love that we ended up on this topic randomly because this is like my jam. Like I'm obsessed with like researching the brain, understanding the brain, understanding how humans think, how they work, what makes them psychology, psychology, but also like neurobiology. And I, I just love learning about the brain. So like with the concept you were just saying, you have to think about it. It's in your imagination anyways, right? So why not imagine the best case scenario? Because you don't really know what's happening on the other end. If that person is texting you, there's no way to actually know unless you text them and just say like, hey, what are you doing? You haven't responded in a while. I was just curious what's happening, which is always an option. Or you could just like be like, well, since I'm imagining, instead of imagining the worst case scenario, what if I tried to imagine the best case scenario? And the human brain, though, is built for survival, not thriving and not happiness. So because of that, our brain does always go to the worst case scenario. And if we don't 
actively learn how to stop that, then yeah, that we're going to live that way for the rest of our lives. And we're not going to ever realize that there's a different option, but there's a concept called neuroplasticity and it essentially means that the brain is able to change. And so that's kind of like a thought we get, just like we have patterns with our habits in real life, we have thought patterns too. So I used to be in such a similar thought pattern as like you're explaining, like the one you just explained with guys all the time, like was assuming the worst. I also come from a background of my mom was cheated on by both of her husbands. I don't know if I should out like <laughs> my family like that. That was your first but, examples of a relationship yeah. as gr- growing and up. And so, of course, that's what I'm always going to assume. Like, oh, they're cheating. Oh, they're like, you know, an emotional relationship with somebody else. And I had to actively teach myself not to think that. And it's it's like, that's what our brains like naturally do. It's they like create they, that worst case scenario. Yeah. And it's because they do that to protect themselves. They're like, okay, right. well, of course that's what it is. Like human nature to just like seek out patterns and like, you know, make sense of these things. Like one thing I realized recently is that a lot of times I will assume the worst, this happens all the time at work. I will assume that everyone is against me. Mm-hmm. And I assume that like people, not conspiring against me, but I will always assume that I'm being treated unfairly and I'm being left out and I will see things happen and I'm like, oh, you know, my boss will get mad at me for doing this, but won't get mad at other people for doing that. And like these double standards. And I I was like, why does that happen to me? And I was like, a lot of people would say like that comes from narcissism, but I, I have a different theory. It's because like, I didn't realize how much until recently, how much my like early, early childhood, specifically like middle school, how much that traumatized me and like how much that, because I was like heavily, heavily bullied, like Mm -hmm. in a way that I think most people don't experience. Like I remember when I first got Facebook, there was this girl who like took a picture of me and like edited it and like wrote all these mean stuff and like posted it publicly, like totally fucked up things. And, you know, there would be people who would like, trick me into thinking that someone liked me and then prank mm. me and like, this really, really it's fucked so up stuff. Awful. And I remember also like these girls who came over my house, like they wanted to give me a makeover, but they wouldn't let me see it. And they like made me look ridiculous, like clown makeup. And then after, and they like took a picture while I like, without me knowing and like looking in the mirror. And I'm like, this is cruel, like satanic shit. That's so fucking mean. Oh my gosh. So for the majority of those formative years where I'm seeking out, like where my brain, I'm not even subconsciously, I'm picking up all these patterns. And in order to protect myself, Mm. I was conditioned to adapt this like defense mechanism of assuming that people want the worst for me, assuming that people are out to get me, assuming that I'm being treated unfairly. And again, as far as ADHD, I was treated unfairly by teachers, specifically Mm -hmm. in middle school. I was very, in high school, I was very lucky about teachers, but as far as peers and classmates, I, I, I was very unlucky and like, I went to Jackson Heights and so did you, Me correct? Too, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jackson Heights, maybe it was just during my time because you weren't growing up when like cyberbullying was happened. Like that was very much before, like that was after your time, right? Yeah, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. Yeah, not a thing at all. Like cyberbullying opened up an entire new window of like being tortured because it was happening at home too. Like you mm. couldn't escape it. Mm. And so all this like, and I remember one time like, 
I tried to defend myself. And I remember like I was like swearing on someone's Facebook page and then I got called to the principal and then I got in trouble and the guy didn't because double standards. And yeah, so, and I never forgot about that. And these are things that I never forgot about. And it's like the people who do it to you, like they forget, but the victim never forgets. Like I recently like talked to someone who was my, like one of my biggest bullies, like made me Made my life a living hell. He had no memory of it. And he's super, super nice now. And so I like, I can't hold it against him because people are people. Mm-hmm. Like bullies in middle school, like it's middle school. They're just like normal people. Like that's just, and again, circling back to like body image, like the number one thing I was made fun of for was like my body and like not being as developed as other girls, but also my face and personality. So nothing personal. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was made fun of for like everything about who I was and so So it was impossible to have any kind of self-esteem. So, you know, I realized recently, I was like, where does this come from of of assuming that people want the worst for me? And it's because like I grew up and, and and it continued a little bit through high school of like people being like, People wanting to laugh about me behind my back because I was a little bit of an Mm -hmm. oddball and I still kind of am and I've learned to own it. But at the same time, that defense mechanism still exists of, you know, assuming that people just want to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's partially not my fault and I have to grow out of that, but it's so hard. It's so, it is so, so, so hard. You're right. And I actually had no idea that this was part of your story because I have a very similar experience. Like, I can't believe I'm hearing you say all this because I I legitimately made a TikTok about this yesterday and it's in my drafts. But I... You did? Oh, I have so much to say about this. But yeah, with when it comes to... I think this is a lesser known part of ADHD. People think it's just you're bouncing off the walls hyper, a little boy, right? But it's also social challenges. And you said that like people thought you were a narcissist or, or you had mentioned something about narcissism. But that's actually a part, narcissism is not a part of ADHD, but we are sometimes so consumed in survival mode with ourselves, like trying to keep everything afloat that we're only thinking about ourselves. And also we don't have the capacity to think about other people. And, you know, we, we get stuck on a pattern of thought, right? That's something that happens to us. We get really stuck on things, but also there's a lot of social challenges that come with it. A lot of us, we interrupt, we can't follow social cues as well. We, we blurt things out that are like other people wouldn't say. And they're like, why did you just say that? That's like socially unacceptable. You know, like that's something I'm kind of I moved to Mississippi and there's a whole new set of social rules here. And I'm like, I don't conform to them. You know, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to be me (laughs) no matter where I am. Oh, it's such a culture shock. But so in middle school, I was also bullied. And speaking of things that have haunted us for the rest of our lives that came from middle school. Yeah. I in seventh grade social studies and all through seventh grade, I was also bullied, made fun of. But this one particular class that I had, my social studies class, The teacher was like a cool teacher, meaning he didn't pay attention to us. He like gave us a worksheet and was just like, whatever, do your thing, you know? So all the kids in that class who happened to be like a bunch of cheerleaders, which I tried out for the cheerleading team and I didn't make it. And like, so I was already like embarrassed about that. And there was football players and all these cool kids, you know? And for some reason, I don't know why, but like it started one day where they started making fun of my weight and saying like, calling me, calling me whale. And I was like, okay, I wasn't a stick 
figure. But I also, when I look back at pictures, actually like a year ago, when I think back on that time, I do think back on myself as like a very heavy child. And I look back and I was not, it was my body image. It was in my head because of some experiences like this. And so they started calling me whale. And then just to emphasize how fat I was, there was a kid who was popular and he was like kind of small. And so they would call call us whale and flea. And they would be chanting and like all they did that entire hour every single day for a semester was torment me about how fat I was. And I can tell you that that belief about myself followed me until probably two years ago until I learned how to dismantle limiting beliefs. And honestly, it still comes up all the time because it's it's that mental habit. Your thing is that you always think that people are like out to make fun of you or like attack you in some way. Every room I walked into until I was legitimately 28, I was like, if people looked at me, I was like, oh my God, they probably think I look fat. Every time I saw old friends, I was like, stressing because I was like, they're going to think I gained so much weight. They're going to think I look so fat. On my wedding day, I thought I looked fat. I was like <laughs> 20 pounds less than I am right now. And like, I'm not a fat person, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with being a fat person, but like, yeah. it was just this, you're right. Those are the formative years of our brain when we're younger and the beliefs that we have about ourselves. We formed most most of those in our childhood. And honestly, most of them before even the age of seven. And we again, if we don't learn that we can change our thoughts, we move through life with those thoughts our entire life, you know? And like, it's haunting. Yeah, it's our first, it's our first example of social environments and social interactions. It's the first example that we get of that. And yeah, like I said, those formative years that our brains are still being shaped. So we're constantly learning. We're constantly like adapting to our environment and picking up on things. And when we're learning those things, it's being reinforced in our minds of like, okay, this is what our reality is. This is how people are. This is like what is is happening. This is reality. Yeah, exactly. And we think that it's reality and we think that these things are forever, like in the moment when you're that young. And Mm -hmm. it's funny, you were talking about like you being made fun of for your weight. I was made fun of for my weight too, but obviously I grew up as a very, very thin child. Then like thin shaming is a very real thing too, especially when you're young. But yeah, I remember like the things people would say is unreal. And I remember the worst part is it continued throughout like high school and everything. And sometimes it happened in like the real world. And you were saying about a teacher, one of my teachers like stopped me outside of class and like was saying to me, like, are you eating? And she was asking me if I was eating. And then she was like, stand, she's like, stand with your legs together. She was like, see how like your thighs don't touch? Like your thighs are supposed to touch in the middle. So that's like the thigh gap. That was before the thigh gap was like cute and popular. And understand her daughter was like this bloomed early cheerleader, pretty girl who was dating my bully. So (laughs) that weird fucking coincidence. And so I'm like, okay, Miss Parlette. Yeah, I'm going to call her ass out. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, so yes, I'm so sorry. You are comparing your gorgeous daughter who's super popular and you're super hot too. She was like one of the hot teachers. (laughs) So I'm like... But, dude, fuck you. Like, literally, have you met my parents? They're super skinny, too. Like, it's in my genetics. And I'm like, and I look back and I'm like, I didn't realize how inappropriate it was. And I look back and I'm like, hey, I was literally like 
11 years old. That's so you highly inappropriate. An 11-year-old. I'm like, of course everyone's body is going to be different. I haven't hit fucking puberty yet. Right. It still like makes me angry to this day because I wish I had known the things I know now. I wish I could have said, hey, that was really inappropriate. You can start class while right. I go to the principal's office and have my mom and dad fucking sh- Oh, my dad. You've met my dad. He would have beat her. Not beat her. <laughs> not beat her. He would have something dad, to say no, for on. sure. Wait, quick disclaimer. Dad is not a physical right. abuser, but he will verbally annihilate someone who fucks with his daughters. Yeah, right. He will verbally annihilate. But yeah, no, so yeah, my ma- it was my math teacher and she stop me outside of class. And I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to focus on math now? You're right. my math teacher. Why are you talking to me about like my body? Knowing right. that, how stupid are you? I know your daughter isn't getting bullied. So you don't know about like middle school bullying or you're ignoring it. And teachers are so fucking complacent and like letting it happen because they think it's normal right. or like builds character or something. Oh, it's so stupid. What, sorry. Uh, well, you look like you were wanting to say something. Oh yeah. Well, well, first of all, yeah, that's one of the reasons I, wanted to become a teacher was so that in the curriculum I could infuse the f- I was a kindergarten teacher prior to my career now but um oh my God, I didn't know that. really social and emotional education and teaching kids you were a princess a teacher <laughs> and now a health <laughs> yeah I have a very interesting journey <laughs> but um yeah. yeah that's like one of the reasons I wanted to become a teacher and one of the reasons that I said heck no will I ever teach middle school because kids are so cruel but okay what I was gonna say about that teacher and something This is actually like a lesson that keeps coming up for me over and over again. Like, and I've been getting this message in different places, but with this teacher, it kind of made me think of this. It's the concept of basically she was just projecting her thoughts onto you. So it really, the concept, I'm trying to think of how it was worded, but it's like, whatever we notice in other people, like whatever triggers us about things in other people that trigger us there's a part of that in us. Like that's the only reason we care, right? Mm -hmm. And vice versa. So like her, whenever somebody's like doing something like that, saying something like that to you, it's because they're projecting their own experience onto you. So maybe for her, if she, maybe in the past she had a thigh gap and that's when she was you know, practicing disordered eating habits, or maybe she thinks like, well, I've dieted my ass off and I've never been able to get a thigh gap. This girl's probably not eating. And like, I need to talk to her about it, you know? But I do think that's interesting also because it's not like at one point you lost a bunch of weight and it was a sudden change. It's like your body's always been like that. So that's an issue in itself that like, I can't even get into that because that's so inappropriate for a teacher to do. But I mean, maybe she had the best intentions, you know, maybe she, but still so inappropriate. But if you did have the best intentions, don't stop me outside of the door where other students can hear that. And like, maybe, maybe it's like, if you're genuinely concerned about me being malnourished, maybe call my parents first rather than asking me. Cause obviously if I wasn't being fed, I wouldn't have told the truth about that. Right. right. Like you can't confront a child. Like you have to, if you think something is going wrong, like you have to call like their parents if you really, but of course she didn't want to do that because I think a small part of her knew that it was fucking wrong. Yeah. Oh, that got me, that, that gets me pressed. That gets me pressed. Yeah. It's, and and <laughs> what you said something earlier too about your bully not remembering the scenario, that teacher probably doesn't remember the scenario either because things that have strong emotional ties to them 
that's what we remember. So like, that's why we both remember our bullying experiences so in detail. Like I can picture the desk that I'm in. I can picture where the cheerleader sat. I can picture everything, every piece of that classroom, you know, or that scenario. And I'm sure you can picture exactly where you were standing when that teacher stood. And it's like, when, when we have these high emotion moments, that's what we tend to remember. And so unfortunately, again, the brain also has a tendency to focus on the negative and yeah. Yeah. What you were saying about like remembering these bad scenarios, something that I I realized recently is that I think a lot of the memories that stick with us is not only like traumatic things and not just really bad things, but I think the things that really, really, really stick are the first time that we have a feeling that we don't understand, Mm. specifically like a feeling that we don't know how to express. And I realized in that moment, I had never felt that before. I had never been in some a situation where a person who I'm supposed to be learning from, a person I'm supposed to trust and I'm supposed to be able to rely on and confide in is turning her back on me or not turning her back on me, but like doing something inappropriate and saying something that that hurts me mm-hmm. and damages my self-esteem. And it's like, it's different from, it's different hearing being bullied or being made fun of for my body around my peers, but from an adult who I trust, like that is the thing that sticks with me. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And it was a feeling that I didn't understand because I hadn't really experienced before. At least I can't think of it. And it's like, we don't know how to... It might have been the feeling of shame. Yeah. Shame and like also a little bit of betrayal. I'm like, again, it's like when it's from an adult who you're supposed to trust. I think something about figures of authority who are supposed to protect us, like actually going out of like hurting us instead, that sort of like, yeah, like betrayal. That's how it feels. And so that, that kind of thing is, is really painful and and is, is hard to forget. And I remember I have another memory and I say, Something that I remember so vividly, and I've, I've talked about it a lot because I, I like to think, I think this was the first time that I felt a lack of self-identity in such a visceral way. It's a big deal to me that I don't remember my hometown, and Sarah does. Hmm. Like one time, the like I haven't left the state very many times, and one time, the last time that we went to Massachusetts... I was too young to be able to communicate with my cousins and hang out with them and and talk to my family. And, you know, those those family dinners, family gatherings, those like holidays and stuff that could have been such happy memories for me instead were like this place where I was like so confused and I wasn't like I was so immature and I couldn't really enjoy them. And when we were visiting Massachusetts and unfortunately, this is my only memory, my only really vivid memory from that we visited our old house that Sarah and I grew up in. And there was a woman there who had like, it was the birthday of her two daughters and they were upstairs asleep. And so, yeah, so she had like two daughters, they were twins. So I think maybe they were like toddlers or something. Like they were really young and she's like, yeah, they're upstairs asleep. And then we knocked on the door and we were like, sorry, so I should have started from the beginning. We knocked on the door and we were like, hey, we used to live here. And of course she's trusting. It's just three women at her door, (laughs) you know, like one of them super young. And yeah, so- We came inside and she, I'll never forget this. She's like, when I first moved here, there was like a sticker on the side of the, on the side of the refrigerator that said, Sarah's house. Is one of you Sarah? And I was like, (gasps) it's cute, but it stabbed me in the heart because I was like, 
this really was her childhood and not mine. I was like, I can't look, I look around, I can't remember a, th a single thing about this house. I have no memories here. This place that I was born, like that whole phrase, home is where the heart is, like always got under my skin. And I always say like, I think my lack of self-identity is where I got my skill of like being able to do impressions of people and like voice impressions and like becoming a mirror when with other people's personalities. Like I always pick up little pieces of like someone's quirks or like things that they say and like try to make it my own. But yeah, in that moment, I remember that so vividly because it was the first time I had a feeling that I didn't understand and didn't know how to express. And it was this feeling of like, I didn't belong, this feeling of being left out. That's something I've always struggled with so much is feeling left out and feeling like I don't belong. And again, feeling a lack of self-identity. And I'm like, this is something my mom and my sister, my blood, who is my family, they can relate on, they can talk to each other about, and they can bond over, and I can't. And like, you've met my grandma. She is so Boston. Yeah, she is so Rita. fucking Boston. Love her. Everyone in my family, yeah, she's still so the best. Everyone in my family is so passionate about this place that I have no memory of. And that was like the most solidified moment of like, I don't belong. There's a part of this family that I can never fit into. And I felt like I just was a puzzle piece that didn't fit. Mm -hmm. So I think memories that stick with us a lot of times are, are the first time that we feel something that we don't understand and don't know how to express. I, I know. And like the, the like, <laughs> like I told you, this is my jam. Yeah, I'm you like, keep wanting to say I'm putting yeah, on yeah. my coach hat because, okay, so yeah, what I do for a lot of clients, we do work through those limiting beliefs. And sometimes you know, for most of my clients, it's limiting beliefs about their body image or what it means to be a healthy person. Or now that I'm working with women with ADHD, what their ADHD means or like what that means about them. But like, yeah, and we'll start by looking at their memories that they have in that area, right? So like, what are all your memories about your body or whatever? But for you, like that memory, and you could see that limiting belief that you pulled out of that, which was, I'm a puzzle piece that just doesn't really fit, fit anywhere, in. right? And mm -hmm. that's not true. That's not true at all. You know, you do fit. And that's the thing, like, Honestly, when I started, when I realized I had ADHD, which I was just diagnosed at age 30 this year, and I feel like I met a community of people that I like genuinely connected with in a new way for the first time ever, you know? And it's like, there is a community of people just like you, you know? And it just takes, sometimes we just have to find them, you know? But that belief lives inside of us still, and we we don't seek out other like other experiences because we just believe that that's true. And so like disassembling some of those limiting beliefs is a huge part of what I do in my work. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like when you were saying that, like the, our emotions kind of when we experience an emotion for the first time that we don't recognize, you know, and I feel like with that teacher, yeah, you might've been feeling some shame because yeah, when it is people that we trust, we assume, and when we're, if you think about like, go back to your mindset as a little kid, like when you're a kid, although you were in middle school then, but like we look up we to adults. We assume that they're right. We assume that they're right and that they know everything, right? Like obviously they're an adult, they know everything, you know? And I kind of remember the moment when I realized that that's not always true, but that's another story. But you know, it's like yeah. that authority, then we take that on to mean that it's something wrong about ourselves, Right. Something else you said that I wanted to touch on too was like how you said you pick up little pieces from other pe people's personalities. 
I think that's, a, I know I keep talking about ADHD. Like I said, a few of my, fo- my like focuses that I'm obsessed with researching are the human brain, like anything to do with health and wellness and mindset and now ADHD. And um, have you heard of masking? Like when it comes to ADHD, have you heard of that concept? No. Okay. So the idea of masking is like, because we do struggle, like having the same social like habits as other people or we like this whole time I've been trying not to pick the heck out of my fingers because we have to be moving like if we have that hyperactive side we always have to be moving or like you know and we eventually learn that these things aren't acceptable or we blurt things out or like just the way that we are we're reprimanded when we were children over and over and over again for being the way that we are there's a stat and I don't know it so I'm not gonna say what it is I'm just gonna make one up this isn't the correct thing but it's like Children with ADHD here, I don't remember the number, but it was like 20,000 more negative messages before they turn a certain age than children who don't have ADHD. Because the way that we inherently are is not socially accepted by the society that we live in, right? Like if we don't want to do something, we just get bored and we're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to move on to something else. Whereas the socially acceptable thing is like to sit down and discipline yourself and do it. But we don't have, we actually don't have that ability. Self-discipline is, yeah, we have to work twice as hard. Totally. And that's why it pisses me off when people say that people with ADHD are lazy. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's the opposite. We have to work so much harder to accomplish the same things you do. Like, it was so hard for me to get through college. Like, I literally had to drop out and come back and... But anyways, okay, so masking, let me bring myself back on track. Masking is the idea that we do that thing you were talking about. We, we, in public or in certain scenarios, we like hide our true selves and become this person, this version of like who we think other people are going to like or who they're going to think is acceptable. And a lot of the time we, the way we do that is by picking up and kind of borrowing those social cues from people around us. However, they're acting, we're like, okay, well, I'm just going to copy them because obviously what they're doing is probably more acceptable than how I would be. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's like with like bullying too, it's like when you have the combination of like not feeling socially accepted from the adults in your life and the authority figures who you are supposed to follow, who you're supposed to listen to, who you're supposed to trust and your peers, this feeling of never fitting in, never being able to be like, it's, it crushes your self-esteem because you're like, Nobody likes me. Nobody accepts me. Like a big one for me was nobody gets me. Yes. That was mine for so long. Yep. So misunderstood. And yeah, no, it's, and what you were talking about before about like, we don't pick up social cues. Like another thing that I was accused of all the time and still am is like, sometimes uh, yeah, I hyper-focus on little details and sometimes jokes or like things that are taken at face, supposed to be taken at face value go over my head and people think I'm dumb. And so that's reinforced yes. to me all the time. Like, you're so stupid. Like one of the jokes at my at my work, and you're going to think that people at my work are mean. There's It, it has its moments, but like the, there's this thing about like, oh my God, like you have no brain cells or like people don't have any brain cells or like that's, uh-huh. that's the way that they'll talk yeah. about people. And I always get so defensive when there's new people who are like working there, like trainees and everything. People who are like 18 years old and it's their first job. And people are like, oh my God, she has no brain cells. I'm always the one to jump and be like, dude, 
She's 18 years old. This is her first job. I was fucking stupid when I first right. started. I asked a lot of questions that seem stupid. Back off. Like, lay off. Like, don't you right. remember? I always, I am always one to root for the underdog. Root for someone who is misunderstood. And it's like, yeah, when things go over my head, I'm like, we have to operate on a different, we don't operate the same way that you do. The right. people who don't have we ADHD. Don't. Especially when you have a very severe case. Like, I have, like, you know, you were diagnosed as an adult. I am totally the opposite. When I was in second grade, they knew, like, they literally, it wasn't even a question. And I'm going to say know, that's, that is very rare for females. Yes. I was just about to say it's, and it's yeah. because men are, are linear thinkers and females are circular thinkers. So yeah. So it is very rare for us to have ADHD, which is, and I think it manifests itself in different ways within, within women. Totally. And yeah, like when, you know, some people get medicated too young. Personally, I got on, I believe, 20 milligrams of Vyvanse when I was, I think, 13, maybe 12. And that's definitely later than a lot of people get it. A, lo- a lot of people, unfortunately, are medicated when they're like in middle school, which, or, or I'm sorry, in elementary school, which to me is like way too early. So I think yeah. middle school, right around the time of puberty, I think that sort of makes a little bit more sense. So yeah, when I, I think one of the biggest things that I, for me, my, my, I think one of my biggest symptoms that has been a hindrance my entire life, like truly it's affected my school. It's affected my work life. I've never been able to get over it is being really slow, like not being Mm. able to finish things in time, not being able to like, because my mind is going in a million different directions. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like how doing a million things at once. And it's like, I get distracted and it's like, I always say the misconception about about ADHD is that like it's not that we can't focus it's that we can only focus hyper focus on one thing at a time and then as soon right. as that happens we switch to that and then as soon as that happens we forget what we're doing before and like a test I remember I had 504 accommodations in high school and I would go to these testing centers a test that would take a normal person like an hour or something, sometimes people who are really quick, even like 30 minutes, no joke would take me like seven hours. I'm not Mm -hmm. joking. I would be in testing centers for seven hours for like a 40 question exam. And it's like, Mm. again, it's like not fitting in, being misunderstood, like being really slow. And it's like, these things take over my, my day to day life and everything. And it's, and I get, I get blamed for, I get reprimanded at work and like, And it's so painful because I'm being told that I can when I'm like, yes, but there are some things I'm just not capable of. And there are other things that ADHD does make me capable of, special skills and things like that. And like being very detail oriented. And it's like, but those things. Society isn't built for our, the way that our brain works. Exactly. It's, there was this video I watched. It was called the strengths of your weaknesses. And it's like on the flip side of something like being detail oriented, I get I hyper-focus in on one thing when I'm supposed to be multitasking. But the the strength of that is like being detail-oriented makes me like a good artist or a really good writer. And it's like, you know, and, and sometimes it's a hindrance with both. Like sometimes it can be a hindrance with both of them because like being on one end of the spectrum is is always a bad thing. It, like there is such a thing as too much of anything. Mm-hmm. But it's like when you look at those two things, it's like the strength, the one that, like that's the one that society wants is like, we don't care if you can do really good artwork or or if you can write really well. Like we don't fucking care about that. As a society, the world is not built for artists or for creatives or for the imaginative. It's built for people who are efficiency, getting things done, doing it right and getting it done yesterday. 
Yeah, there's so many things you just hit on that, like, I want to talk about. Oh, my gosh. Like, everything. Uh, this is, I, I was talking so for talk a while. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, part of that is the society we live in, like, we're used to the concept of you trade dollars for hours, right? Like, you work a certain amount of hours. And yes. so we have, like, been trained to be workhorses but and, and just, like, be productive all the time and be in the same— Quantity over quality. Right? And just and just And just be able to be in the same mode all the time. The ADHD brain doesn't work that way. It's a little bit more, like, loosey-goosey no. and, like, oh, I'm going to go over here and over here and, and you know? And so— but nowadays, the great thing is that we're kind of learning as a society, we're shifting out of that a little bit. There's a lot more entrepreneurs and people understanding that the system doesn't have to be that way anymore. You know, like the people who that works well for can stay in that. But we don't necessarily have to. But like, yeah, yeah you're totally right. It is not the, the phrase of ADHD is not really correct for what it is. It's so much more because it's yeah attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We do not have an, a deficit of attention at all. It's the no. opposite. We have, we actually can't filter out things. We pay attention to everything, which is why actually this is one thing. This is the one thing that led me to start researching ADHD more and get a diagnosis was because I was a teacher before. And so I was super scatterbrained, of course, because I was like, well, of course, I have 30 kids in my classroom. Of course, I'm scatterbrained. There's a bunch of five-year-olds, of course, and they're interrupting everything and yada, yada. And so like, there was always this built-in excuse for why I forgot everything and was scatterbrained and all these other things, you know? And when I started to work for myself and I would be like, all right, I'm going to sit down at my desk. I'm sitting down at my computer. I'm going to get so much work done. And I would sit down and I would open my laptop and I would be like, let's say writing a po writing a podcast, right? And I'm write a podcast and then I would be like, oh, let me look up the definition of that thing. And I would look up the definition of something and then I would yep. like- Rabbit look, hole. See, yeah, I would see my tabs on my emails and I would be like, let me go to my email. And I go to my email and I would see a sale, like something like, a clothing item on sale, you know, the emails, like the stupid bullshit. And I'll look at that. And then I'll be looking at the website and be like, oh my gosh, look at all this cute stuff. And then I would find a dress I'd like. And then I would be like, well, you know, I could probably find it cheaper on Amazon. And then I'll go on Amazon and then literally, and then yeah. I'll be like, wait, but do I have a dress like that in my closet? And I would get up and walk down to my closet. And I would be like, all of a sudden, it would be a realization. I'll be like, I was supposed to be fucking working. What am I doing? And like, this would happen yeah. all the time. And and so I couldn't, it's like our brain, I guess me saying it that way makes does make it sound like we have a deficit of attention. But when we are in, interested in something, we have an interest-focused brain. When yes. we're interested in something, we can Hours and hours will feel in. like minutes. Totally. Yeah, we can zone in and like obsess. So all these things, like we've been talking about the brain development and all that, I obsess over that. And like, I will get into a wormhole for hours. And so I think finding careers that we're interested in is so key for us. And that's why school can be hard for us too, because the way that school is is Does up not until cater high to school. people like us. No, because it's a bunch of different things and we have to scatter our focus we actually, ADHDers tend to do better in higher levels of education because we can zone in on our zone of genius. Like when you get into a master's and a PhD, you are only focusing on the thing that you're obsessed with. So you, we do really good with those kinds of things. But when you were saying how you would take so long to do tests, I was the complete opposite. And it's interesting wow. because ADHD symptoms manifest very differently in different people, like you were saying. And like, 
There's yes. some people who are more like there's there's three types. There's hyperactive, inattentive, and combined. I'm combined, but they're not only that, everybody has a spectrum of the symptoms and like of how much they show. And also yes, not everybody exactly. has all the same symptoms, you know? Like a lot of people with ADHD are chronically late. I don't have that problem. I have no concept of time, but I'm chronically early because I have anxiety yeah, about it. Big, I'm I have big on being it, early. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm so big on punctuality. I, I think know. it's so mean when people are late. It's like wasting because time is something you can never get back. That's the most valuable thing. Yeah. So I would I would rush through things because I didn't give a shit about it, to be frank, you know? And so I was like, I would just hurry through it and my teachers would be like, No, you need to redo this or you need to take your time. And I was like, no, because my book that's in my desk, I want to freaking read that. And I don't give a shit about this math test or whatever. I actually will never forget another thing tied to a memory with a teacher. In third grade, a teacher ripped up my paper because she said I rushed through it and made me do it again. And I was so livid. Talk about also a big thing with ADHD is lack of emotional control. I was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was younger. I, I ha- I'm bipolar and have ADHD. Really? Yeah. A lot of people have comorbidities like depression, anxiety is a really big one and bipolar, but also it can be confused. So I'm not bipolar, but I struggle with the emotional piece a lot. And so, and that's a big part of ADHD, emotional regulation and that impulse control of not acting on your emotions the second you feel them, you know? But I'm getting off on a tangent. Oh, another thing you had said something about was boys versus girls and how like we talked about Mm -hmm. you got diagnosed when you were younger versus I was diagnosed when I was older. Yeah. Something that tends to happen, yeah, unless girls are really blatantly obvious in the hyperactive way. Mine was blatantly obvious. Yeah, like I, I, you were actually the first person that I ever met that I think like I... Like the first time I was introduced to the term ADHD, like Sarah said, my little sister has ADHD. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck that is, <laughs> you know? And she was like, oh, it means she's really hyper, wow. you know? But it like, all started with me. Right, right. But, <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. Like I even was a kindergarten teacher. And sometimes I think back on it and I'm like, I can't believe I was teaching kindergarten. I was a teacher and I did not know the signs and symptoms to look for because the thing that got me interested and somebody said something to me, a friend of mine that has ADHD said something to me. I was telling her about the thing with working. Like I couldn't get shit done. Like I was having such a struggle with that. And she was like, don't you have ADHD? And I was like, what? And she was like, I really thought you had ADHD. And I was like, why did you think that? And she was like, no, never mind. I don't, I don't want to be rude or anything. And I'm like, no, it's okay. You can tell me. Like, I want to know how I'm coming across. It's not always a bad thing. Right. And she's like, I don't know. You just, you, you just kind of always came across that way to me, you know, like you, you interrupt and like, you're kind of like really excitable and stuff. And I was like, maybe I should look into it. She was like, you should look into it. And I Googled the symptoms and I was just, my jaw was on the floor and I had my, I sent it immediately to my husband because he's lived with me for five years now. And I was like, Mm -hmm. these are the symptoms of ADHD. What do you think about that? And he was like, well, that sounds like that article was written about you. And I was like, that's what I thought too. So uh, yeah, but girls can, we can, for me, it was more so about hiding all those negative qualities. I was really aware of, I think I became hyper aware of how people 
perceived me, right? Like you were talking about. So self-conscious that I would do those things. Like you said, pick up the social cues. And I would also, any of my shortcomings, I would really hide them from the world. Like I had so many Fs in high school and and I failed out of college. And people will tell me like, I thought you were so studious. I thought you had like straight A's. And I'm like, no, I just hit it really well. I did the things that I knew would make it look like everything was okay on the surface because I didn't want anyone to know that I was like literally drowning, you know, and and just couldn't keep up with everything. And then just uh, being diagnosed later in life is just such... So much catching up to do, yeah. So much catching up. And then you look back and understand why so many different things happens happened. And it's just yeah. really wild, you know? Putting the pieces together and being able right. to make sense of everything once it's all over. And for me, it's helped me not blame myself as much. Because I did just think like, oh my God, I'm just lazy. Oh my God, I just, you know... Like, I'm not smart. I can't keep up with school, you know? And I'm actually now applying to go back to school, to grad school. And, um, yeah. And so, like, because now I know, no, I, it's this thing, but it's, it's ADHD, but it's manageable. And now that I know how to manage it, I know I can do this, you know? And it's just given me a lot of like freedom and understanding and self compassion, which has been, it's been life changing. It's so weird because you and I have like a ton of parallels, but also it's either like a parallel or opposite. It's weird. Yeah, it is. And it's like, yeah. And I was going to say like, this is different from all of my interviews, not just because of the music thing, but also because like you and I, because we can only do a bunch of things at once, like you and I are taking turns with like, you get five minutes, I get five minutes. Like normally with other people, it's like this back and forth, like each person gets like 30 seconds of talking time or something like that. And then I would take over and I would get like five minutes and the other person would get one minute and I would get 20 and they would get 10 seconds. We want to dive in and talk about all the things and go off on that brain trail and that wormhole. What? Wait, run away brains runaway brains that's such a perfect name I love it so much yeah the stream of consciousness we we have to follow the stream of consciousness or we'll lose it like we're gonna lose those ideas and that's why we interrupt too because I love that you brought up the idea of writing down what you want to say so helpful I got a notebook as soon as you said that because that's one of the biggest reasons we interrupt is because we literally are working memory cannot hold on to that thing. So we know if we don't blurt it out, it's going to be gone forever, you know? And those people we're comfortable with, we can say, I got to blurt this out right now. Otherwise I'm going to forget it. Like my husband knows, like, I'll just say that to him. And he's like, okay, go ahead. Cause I'm going to remember the thing I was going to say, you know? And like, but to other people, that's really rude. You know, yeah, and, and when we're rude, in social but. situations with people who don't understand us or who don't understand those symptoms, it's like one of two things happen. It's like we either seem like we value what we have to say more than other people's, and like we come out and say things and we're misunderstood, constantly misunderstood. That's where the narcissism say, thing comes to, yeah, right? And, and we, yeah, the, and like people think that we have a self importance, like a narcissism. It's like that either that happens or if we do hold in our thoughts and we say, oh, okay. I have to be socially acceptable. Now I have to conform to what other people want. Now I'm holding in all this stuff and now I'm acting socially weird. And they're like, why are you so quiet? And I'm like, because I'm fucking upset. And I don't know where to, where these thoughts and where these feelings and, and things I want to say, I don't, they have nowhere to go. So I'm living in my head right now. And you guys have no idea what's going on. And I can only focus on this and I can't focus on what you're saying. And like, it's a vicious cycle. And it's like, it's so one thing I've been thinking about so much recently is like, oh my God, sometimes it is so hard 
hard to be myself because like, it's always one or the other. It's like, it's, I'm too much of this or I'm too much of that. Like that's one of the lyrics I wrote. I say, mm -hmm. one lyric I wrote is I wrote, anyone who's met me even once will say that I'm too much. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just too much of something. I'm too much of, of, of anything. And it's, and you, we just want to be accepted so bad, but it, sometimes it feels almost impossible. And it is about finding that balance. And as someone who has the chemical imbalance of like being bipolar, also that lack of balance, it's a very, it's very weird when it's combined with ADHD because both are like very, very under control right now because I've been medicated for it since I was like 17. And if I don't have that like I will explode. Like mm. truly it's, I'm very controlled in that way. I've done a really good job of that part of my life and that part of myself, keeping that sort of under control. So yeah, so one of the things I wrote down was about, yeah, a lack of control of our feelings and like uh, having control over our emotions. That again, combined with bipolar, such a bad combination because you know, when I wasn't medicated, I would like explode these like bursts of anger and like being so stubborn. And it's what it comes across as is like being childish. Like that's why it's, it, you seem like a child. Like people tell me at work all the time. They're like, oh my God, you act like you're like in middle school or you act like such a child. And I've done my best to look past it. And Again, but not everyone at work is mean. I, I'm focusing on the bad things because I, I'm, yeah. I'm, we're, we're talking about the downsides, but not being able to control my emotions. And you were talking before about like, you sit down and then you have this, this idea and then you trail off on that idea and then you trail off on the connectivity of ideas and like not being able to sort of circle back to where we began. Mm -hmm. Sort of the tree, like you're branching off. It's like a tree, like you forget where the root is. And then you get and confused and you're like, what, what, where was I? What was I, you know, right? Right? Do you get and like, then there's a million things going yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much in our brains. It's in that way we're linear thinkers, but we're also circular thinkers at the same time because we're women. And I do take a lot of pride in like being a woman. And I do have all these, I don't want to get too off track there. This is just a side note. But yeah, <laughs> like as far as being a woman, I do fully believe that like we are better at like details and like focusing, like trying to compartmentalize and things mm -hmm. like that. And so when you were saying before about like you you sit down and you're like you set aside time you're like okay I'm gonna focus today I'm gonna work on this I do that all the time and then what happens is if I'm not feeling it I just can't do it because mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm forcing it I can't be a hundred percent I can't put a hundred percent effort if my passion isn't there if my brain isn't there mm -hmm. it has to do whatever it wants like self control and self discipline is like so hard. It's like, it's more than just a chore. It's like, yeah, it's, it's so much mental and intellectual labor that it's like, I just get exhausted and then I blame myself and then I'm mad at myself. And yeah, and again, it's just like a lack of understanding. And I was saying before, like we wanna follow our intuitions and you know, in, in order to sort of like fit in, cause I do think we live in a world that's very quantity over quality. Like we don't want to like take like, cause on the one hand we've learned like slow and steady wins the race, mm -hmm. but 
we're, we're supposed to conform to like get it done. And then when it's not good enough, it's like, what? why isn't this good? I'm like, because I didn't have enough fucking time, eh? Like, <laughs> you didn't give me enough time. And, you know, and so I fit more into the box of like, I prefer quality over quantity. Like mm-hmm. if you give me like 30 minutes to finish something, it's going to be shit. If I'm not in it, if I'm not focused on it, if you give me a week to finish something, I'll give you a goddamn masterpiece. <laughs> and so it's, it's hard to balance whether or not I want to sacrifice that part of myself and get into these habits and train my mind to conform to this this criteria that I don't work well in, that mm. it doesn't cater to my strengths and doesn't bring out my strengths. And, right. and it's hard to figure out how to navigate that. And it's hard to figure out like, okay, well, how can I still be myself? How can I not sacrifice these strengths that I have that just don't fit in the confines of what society wants from me? It's like, how am I able to do the things that I need to get done and like be what my my friends or my boss or my teachers or whatever authority figure in my life or my peers, what they need me to be or what is going to be best for them because I care about them too. Like mm-hmm. it's not all about me and everything. It's just like I overanalyze. So it seems like I'm making it about me. Like, I remember that's something people say to me all the time. They're like, oh, not everything is about you. Like, not the whole world revolves around you. And that circles back to, like, the trauma of, like, assuming that things are about me because at a certain time in my life, they literally were. Mm -hmm. Like, when people were talking and laughing and chattering in the hallway, it was about me. And I was right those times. So I built up that defense mechanism of assuming things are about me to protect myself. And, you know, sometimes it's not. Maybe sometimes it fucking is. And it's like... I have to get used to the fact of like, okay, well, I I just won't know. And even if it is about me, it doesn't matter. But there's always that following that urge of like saying what I want to say. It's just like, okay, well, is this about me? Like, are you guys talking about me? And it's right. And it comes across as such, such an unattractive quality and people misunderstand the place that it's coming from. Cause it's like, what you have to remember is it's not unattractive to everybody, you know, like, like it's really really not. And that's like, you know, takes a lot of internal work. Cause like you said, it's like, we've, this is like a belief we have that everybody finds that unattractive. I find that a very attractive quality because I don't want to have fucking small talk. I want to hear what is truly on people's minds. I want them to blurt out. Yeah, I'll do the same thing. If I think my friends are talking about me, I will straight up ask them, are you talking about me? Because I have a feeling and I have intuition that you're talking about me and I want to know, you know? And so I like, I, it's just finding again, those people that do get us and understand us is like the most healing thing in the entire world world, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, like you were saying, well, how do we balance the the desire to be ourselves and like really do the things that we thrive in? And then also like be able to conform. We have to do certain things. We have to feed ourselves. Yeah, we have to we make money. Have to. We have to, but there's certain things we have to do. And that does require like changing our natural state a little bit. But like when I was first diagnosed, and I, I think a lot of people feel this way if they're diagnosed later in life, my goal was like, okay, how can I become as normal as possible? How can I like get rid of this thing, mm-hmm. right? Like I wanted to be able to be productive and like I wanted to be able to balance all the things and, and do pretty much just be the opposite of myself, you know? But the, the goal doesn't always have to be to be neurotypical. And this is like what I've learned. Like like you said, with every weakness, there's a corresponding strength, right? And back and forth. So like the fact that we're impulsive is so, is actually a really great thing because all creativity is impulsive. You can't sit down and be like, I'm going to be creative now. Time to be creative. 
you, you, you like do it impulsively and you're like, oh, I have an idea and I'm going to do it right now. Inspiration. Yeah. Right. And so it is, it is harnessing that and, and then saying, okay, there's these few areas where I might need to any, the little self-control and discipline I have, (laughs) I might need to harness those into doing these things like paying my bills and like all that stupid stuff that we have to do to survive. But like the rest of the time for me, I've tried, I've tried to make it like finding this nice balance and not always trying to change myself, you know, because like you said, was when it comes, you were talking about self-control and discipline is so hard for us. That's what people don't understand is that is actually a function of the brain, right? That's our neurobiology and the way that our brain is set up. So the prefrontal cortex is the part of the human brain that's responsible for self-discipline, self-control, and basically all things executive functioning, which I won't go too deep into that. But we do not have the same structure. We have structural differences in our prefrontal cortex. And essentially what this means is we literally do not have as much self-control and discipline as other people. So that's why we do blurt things out. And that's why a lot of people struggle with overeating. You know, they're like, when I want, I see it, I want it. I don't yes. care, you know, like yes. the prefrontal, oh my God, the so prefrontal cortex ha- helps us essentially say, I have a like a goal for the future and I need to change my behavior now to conform to that. People with ADHD were kind of like, no, who gives a fuck about the future? What about the now? We only care about the now. And that's not because we are lazy. Like being in the moment. Right. It's actually the way that our brain is set up. And also we're wired for interest. So like you said, you'll sit down and try to do something and you just can't do it. People don't understand that. And they're like, force yourself to do it. We cannot because our brains... There's another thing that's different in the ADHD brain. It's called the DTD, which is dopamine transporter density. Again, not going to get into that, but dopamine is a part of the brain that is responsible for pleasure and reward. And we don't have as much, basically the dopamine doesn't process in our brains the same way. So we're like reward and pleasure seeking machines. So if something doesn't have our interest and it doesn't seem pleasurable Instant to gratification. us. Yes, yes, that is exactly it. If something doesn't seem pleasurable to us in the moment, we're gonna chuck it and we are going to do what seems pleasurable, no matter what our long-term goals are, you know? And I actually, there are a lot of workarounds to this and there are ways to manage things in your life without a whole lot of discipline, you know? And like, I don't think we have time to get into those, but like, it's just, yeah, it's like, we don't have to try and be neurotypical and try to be something that we're not, is what I'm learning, you know? And again, I'm newly diagnosed, so I'm just learning this and being like, okay, but I don't have to change who I am because the more I learn, the more I'm like, well, my whole personality is kind of just ADHD symptoms. <laughs> like all the things yeah, I like about myself are ADHD as well, you know? So, I mean, like, I'm like, I don't want to get rid of all those things. Um, so that comes with a price, you know? And it's just about understanding that a lot of people aren't going to understand that. And finding those few humans that do get us and do accept us fully. Is amazing. Like, amazing. Like you and like, I. Like exactly. my, yeah, yeah. Other women with ADHD, I freaking love connecting with because again, they get it. Yeah. We conversate the same way. Like, and my husband doesn't have ADHD, although like he might be a tiny bit ADHD. I don't know. I'm not going to put that label on him. He's talked about it before, but he's, he's so good at like a lot of stuff that I'm not good at. But anyways, he accepts me fully 100% for who I am. And I had never experienced that in a relationship. That's the dream. 
It's the dream. It's the dream. It's, it really, really, really is. And I need to be better about accepting him fully for who he is because yeah. I will impulsively just like say the things that I don't like. But regardless of that, anyways, he accepts me for who I am. And it's it's game changing for self-esteem to be around people, whether it's in real life or even friends on the internet. Like I've met so many people on Instagram and TikTok and like finding those people that get us is like, I even get a lot of messages on Instagram. Yes, I get a lot of messages and people are like, I've never heard it explained this way. Like I didn't think other people were like me and, and thank you so much for making me feel seen. And I'm like, thank you for making me feel seen because I put that out there in the internet and I didn't know if anybody would relate. And for to hear that from you is just as healing to me, you know? Yeah, and that's something that I'm excited about with the project that I'm working on that I told you about coming forward about my story. Mm-hmm. And I do realize that the ways that, that trauma have affected me in the past, like, three years since everything has has happened, it, it's I realize that, like, Sometimes they're, because I have like emotional like triggers now and I realize that some that in itself can be very distracting. You know, that there's all these weird things contributing to like, my ADHD is a little bit, are like manifests differently now ever since um, trauma because I realized that PTSD also did a little bit more rewiring of my brain chemistry. Like that changed me and that's lifelong. And mm. so like sometimes if there's like a trigger, I will get really, really, really distracted and I will become like, I will emotionally shut down or I will, like I I have emotionally shut down at work so many times where like people will be like, oh, like what's wrong? And I'm like, I literally can't talk about it. Like I literally cannot burden you with some heavy, heavy, dark shit right now. I can't do that to you. I can't do that to myself. I'm like, there's just no time to talk about it. Anyone who hasn't been through that kind of trauma cannot fully understand within two minutes or within like a, a, a 30 second conversation. It's just, it just can never, ever, ever be small talk. And so one of the reasons I'm excited to come forward is because I realized that if I can tell my story like publicly, I will never have to tell it ever again. If someone asks me about it, I'm like, here, here's a link we'll to the video. To like there, right. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something so cathartic about living your truth and like mm. owning, you know, taking the power back of being able to tell your own story before somebody else can. And, you know, yeah, with trauma and everything, it's like if something really, really bad happens or like I have something on my mind and nobody else understands, it could be it could be the littlest thing like out of nowhere. And I'll just like run in the bathroom and cry or have like a panic attack. And like that's something that people really, really don't understand. And it's like I just can't get into it. And it's, you know, it's a good thing that people are becoming more aware and more educated about mental health. But like not everyone is like sometimes you do meet a lot of people who like I've met people because I had like a really severe this. We're getting really deep now. When I was like before diagnosed with PTSD for a year, I had a really, really bad eating disorder. And when I told someone like I was opening up and I was like, yeah, I'm like bulimic. And they're like, what's that? I'm like, people don't know what eating disorders are. Like, what the fuck? I'm like, how do you not know what that is? And maybe it's just people in Florida are stupid. I don't know what to blame. (laughs) But like, well, you know, I heard something once and it was like, 
until you're ready, like hold this information, like things like that, you know, it's like only share it with the people that you know, like you said, are going to understand it or give you a response that's not going to be triggering, you know, and that's something I've gotten careful with too, is like who I share information with, you know what I mean? Like that, because you're right. Nobody can understand it in a two minute situation yeah. and then and they're they're not going to understand it in a two-minute situation only and, and it's tough because yeah. yeah because some people don't want to be empathetic and it's like you know when I was working at because I'm at I'm at a different store I'm at the Oviedo store and when I was at the Redbug store I had this this boss it was this guy he was literally like 19 years old I'm like what the fuck uh, why the fuck are you a general manager of a store at 19 <laughs> years old like I was older than him and yet he was the one who didn't take me seriously and I remember I was like I needed him to understand some things about me because he was asking questions and I'm like okay well here's sort of what's going on with me if you're wondering like why all these things it, it was a while back so I don't know exactly what brought it up but like there are times where trauma and also ADHD and like all these mental illnesses are putting your job at risk. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's when it, that's when the stakes are so high. And I'm like, you know, at work, I have to develop this, this, this habit of mine where once someone tells me to do something, I have to repeat it to myself over and over and over in my head. Like if someone's like, oh, okay, like go do, there's this thing at work. Have you ever You've worked at Panera before. That was my first job at the Redbug yes, location. Yes, that's my first job. <laughs> yeah, I was at the Redbug location for a while. I got fired. Mean, Speaking of risking jobs, I got fired. <laughs> did you know? What, do, yeah. So do you know what red tile means when someone says, can you do red tile? No, I don't remember. It means remember. like sweep and mop. It means to sweep and mop the red tile, which is like the kitchen okay. area, like the back of the store. And so someone will be like, oh, okay, like do red tile. And then you're supposed to be multitasking in this, you know, you have a headset on, you have to be taking orders, you have to be remembering what you're doing. You have to remind yourself, oh, okay, there's a rapid pickup on the screen. I have to finish that. I have to toast this bagel, but I also have to make, I also have to take this order. And it's like, <laughs> I have to work twice as hard as everyone. And, and, and it's like, the only reason that I'm able to do it is because, you know, I'm used to it. And I, there's, it's in within my comfort zone. I've been at this job for five years, but if someone is like, hey, like go do red tile. And I, I'm like, okay, do red tile. Like that's, that's next on my agenda. Like I have to repeat it to myself a million times, but sometimes because I'm hyper-focusing on other things and I'm like, okay, what do I prioritize? Am I prioritizing this little task that I don't have to do immediately? Or am I prioritizing like customers? Like, am I prioritizing remembering what I'm doing right here? And that's when we shut down, right? And and yeah. And then my coworkers and my boss and my bosses will like get mad at me and think that I'm ignoring them. I'm like, no, it's not you that I'm not. That's, oh, that's a huge one is when I'm accused of like not listening. I'm like, no, my mind is elsewhere. Like, I'm like, I'm trying right. to be here. I'm trying to be to be present. But at times I live in my head, whether it's because something bad is happening and I'm something reminds me of my trauma or like, I remember one time something really bad was going on and I saw a person's name that would like triggered me. Like, and it was as simple as that. And of course that was when I was in the very, very thick. That was before I even started healing. That was when I was in the like thick of PTSD and like, Cause I've done a lot of healing since like, you know, it's been, it's been two years since I was like, or maybe, yeah, like maybe a year and a half since I was like diagnosed, but you know, like I was taking customer's order and they had the same name as someone who had like, Mm. you know, put me through a, a really hard time. And it's like, 
then I, now that's on my mind and like I'm upset right. for, you know, and however And then we can long. get hyper-focused. Your ADHD part of your yes, brain exactly. that does yeah. zone in on things, that is a priority in your brain. So when you see that name, you're going to be, you're going to forget everything else yes. that you're you are doing. And also, like you said, like, like that, if you are trying to remember one task, like you're like red tile, red tile, red tile. That is why I am always early is because if I have one thing on my calendar, like this morning, for example, I have to be like meeting without a meeting without a meeting without yeah. him, And I have to obsess over it and just get there early. Because if I get sucked into another project or something like I will be like, shoot, I was supposed to meet her 30 minutes ago. So instead, mm-hmm. I like, I hyper-focus and my, I have to zone in on that one thing. Otherwise, I will forget about it and it won't happen. And like, that's what happens with our brains. That's how they work. So I've had to learn, like, I have learned a lot of little hacks and systems that throughout the years that have helped me with some of those things, you know, mainly never trusting my memory, like literally writing everything down and like finding these little systems that work for us is so key. And when we can do that, it's like we can feel empowered again and not just be like, because I do think it's easy with ADHD to get stuck in the like, oh, I feel sorry for myself. I can't do it your way. I can't do it your way because my brain doesn't work like that. And it's like, Actually, we're really fucking creative people, honestly. And if we can come up with a creative solution to that, you know, and that's one of my jams is like coming up with creative solutions to problems. I'm like, I freaking love doing that. You know, like as you were talking about that at work, I'm like, oh, she should get a whiteboard and just like jot down all the things. And as you finish it, just swipe it off. And like, that's your own personal whiteboard. Nobody else touches it. You, I'm sure you have your own system, but like, this is my mind loves creating systems, you know? I know. And you were saying before about, like yeah zoning in on something that happens and it's like again it's like it's the worst combination of like not being able to hide our feelings not being able to control our emotions for that to be contributing to like trauma and it's like that's I'm like oh it's like it's such a horrible match and everything like that especially when it's like absolutely especially you know some trauma like a lot of trauma is just it's lifelong because it's those visceral emotions that like you go into yeah like survival mode also and it's like there's so many different coping mechanisms that aren't healthy and it's really hard. And I remember it's like people who don't understand and aren't going through what you you're going through will give you the most stupid advice. Like it's, it's, it's like insultingly unhelpful. And I'm like, Hey, the advice right. that you give to me, it like, that you might give to other people who are fucking normal or, like, don't have any, like, mental illnesses or at least are enough on the spectrum to where they can live a normal life and, like, function and operate within society in a relatively, like, normal way. Like, I have friends who I look at and I'm like, yeah, you just, like, have, like, a normal life. Like, you get A's and B's in class, you go to prom, you go to sports games, and, like, you graduate and you you are a normal person. Like, you can fit in. It's so boring to me, though. When I think about normal people, I'm like, I would never want to, that sounds boring. <laughs> I know, yeah. And there is a level of boringness, but, and I, like, I try to think to myself, I'm like, okay, well, what is boring to me is just, like, fun to them, and it's, like, everyone has different, like, things that make them happy. So I'm like, yeah, good for you and everything right. like that. And it's but like- I think ADHD is, like we do have a low tolerance for the status quo yeah, though. Yeah, we like, do. Oh, I, don't, I don't want, like, I don't want to do that. Again, like, we're, rooting we for just, the underdog. We yeah. want to be different. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, exactly. And I do take pride in being different, but there are moments where it is really hard to when I'm being told that I'm wrong, I'm being told that I'm doing it wrong, I'm, my job is at risk, or I'm losing a friend, or, or not losing a friend, but I'm, I'm bothering a friend, or I'm, you know, hurting people in my life in some way, and it's or pushing someone away. And it's like, that doesn't happen as much anymore because I've, I, I've managed, I've been able to manage like how to be a good friend and everything like that. And I take a lot of pride in that. I put a lot of effort into that because that's what's like more important to me. But yeah. It, you need to teach me how to do that because I'm such a bad friend. I, it's something I need to work on really? so much. Oh I, yeah. I, 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 I would love to tell you all about that. Yeah, no, that's something that I've gotten better at <laughs> is like being able, because I care. It's that out of sight, out of mind thing. Like if I, if I don't see you, I forget to text you. I forget birthdays. I, I get focused on the things that I'm obsessing about and yeah. I don't think about my friends and I live like five states away. So like, they're like, oh, well, I guess you just hate us now, you know? And like, it's just, it's hard. Yeah. I've gotten so much better at that because a lot of my motivations changed after like trauma. I became so oriented on like helping other people after I was able to like start healing a little bit. And I started thinking about how many other people in the world have gone through what I have and like seeing all the ways in which society is like perpetuating ideologies that are hurting people like me and wanting to speak out about it and wanting to write about it and everything. Like that was what sort of made me start valuing other people so much. And I'm like, okay, like one thing that I say to people, like when I, when I really love someone's music, like when I'm having someone on the podcast, like I will say to them off camera, and this is something that I, I will say to anyone on, ca on camera though, is I'll say, like, it's so important for people to be reminded of their worth because it's easy to forget what other people mean to us until we lose them or until, like, they're, it, losing them is, like, in jeopardy. But it's also what we forget quickest and easiest is what we are worth to other people. And so I go out of my Absolutely. way at times to, like, look at my friends and be like, hey, you know I love you so much and here are all the reasons that I love you. And I will, like, off camera, I'll say to my guests, I'm like, hey, you're incredible at music and these are all the reasons that I love your music. And it's like, because that's something that they want to hear. That's going to validate them. That's all I know about them, you know? So I do want to take time to show them that they are worthy as musicians before, like, you know, because yeah. I can tell them afterwards, like, hey, you're really amazing people and it's been great getting to know you. But yeah, as far as... um. Getting but this is a little bit off topic, but it's it was on topic before, but I'm gonna get back to it. You were talking yeah. about the, this lack of control, and you talked a lot about overeating. And it's funny because, mm. like, when I was really young, I had a habit of like under eating, and a lot of times you could see that in my body, but I, I would be skinny regardless because it's just genetic. But I had a habit of that because on another thing about like ADHD, like the medication I'm on, like one of the side effects is like not being hungry. And that's why when I was reading like some of the, uh, when I was reading some of the like information about it, it's like, it is also used to treat eating disorders. And so I'm like, oh, I get a twofer. Yeah. So, and it's, it's something it's like, you know, there's a downside to it because it doesn't make you that hungry. But when you are in, in a situation where you are so impulsive and you seek out like instant gratification and like junk food, and that's something that's always been a big habit of mine is just like loving sugar and everything like that. And it's like, you know, and now there's all these ways of like getting food delivered and like getting things with immediacy. And it's like, it's so just, and I'm like bad with spending too. And I just look at it and I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, let's spend $50 on Uber Eats. Like, it's so bad right. and it's such a bad habit. And either overeating or undereating, so a lot of times just, 
you know, with trauma and with a mental illness, like it does sometimes affect your relationship with food. And, oh, you know, that becomes, because that's huge, because that's one of the like main components of just like being alive and like nourishing ourselves. But can I pop in and talk about the food thing real quick and just like yeah. comment a couple things? That's like my specialty. That's what I do is I'm a health coach, health and nutrition coach for women with ADHD. And so, yeah, some of the comment, the, Eating disorders are also way more prevalent in people with ADHD. We have a much higher chance of developing eating disorders. And women. Yeah, women in particular, but ADHD in general. Yeah, and like what you were saying, the undereating and overeating, that's a cycle a lot of people go through because yes, the medication can be an appetite suppressant, but the human body is also very smart. And um, if you if we are not eating enough calories, then our body is going to send us signals to eat a bunch of calories in like being excessive hunger, like really intense hunger and cravings. Right. And for somebody who it's like this perfect storm, right, for us, because we get distracted from eating, we get so obsessed with something we don't we're not paying attention to eating. We are like, we don't think about eating and or our medication is making us not hungry or we just don't feel like taking the time to sit down and make something or eat or whatever. So then we're a lot of us, we were under eating and then it leads to this cycle of overeating because we're your appetite. You can yes. think of it like your rubber band and you pull it back. The farther you pull it back, the farther it's going to spring the other direction. And so then we're right, overeating. All or nothing. Yeah, right. Very, very all or nothing. I have lots of podcasts on this, on this topic. And yeah, and it's also when you said about sugar, a lot of people with ADHD have a hard relationship with sugar because sugar and carbohydrates do give your, and highly processed foods, give your brain a hit of dopamine. And like we said, we're dopamine seeking creatures. Like we need it, we want it and we obsess over it. And that was something I struggled with my entire life. And when I started like eating and, and starting from that trauma with the situation, the bullying, you know, I was obsessed with my body and I was obsessed with how my body looked and how I ate, you know, that developed into really disordered eating habits. And then learning that this is super common in people with ADHD. I was just like, why isn't this more well-known, you know, <laughs> but I'll keep it there. Cause I could talk about that forever. And I do have to get going kind of soon. So yeah, I'll wrap it up here, but yeah, so I have a good place to wrap up, but as far as like, um, yeah, the eating thing, I th- yeah, I think we talked enough about, about that because um, I want to get into this. The fear, a lot of it, a lot of sometimes like, because I mentioned before about people confusing like symptoms of like narcissism and like assuming that we only care about ourselves. Like a lot of times my symptoms come across as like being self-centered and like a lot of it comes from fear of like letting people down because I can't conform to like what they want me to be. And I think a lot of times because we project these like behaviors of like that would normally be associated with people who are self-centered, who are superficial, who seek out like um, instant gratification, material possessions, things like that. Now, of course, for me, that manifests a lot with food and not so much with money or with like things, like material Mm -hmm. things, you know what I mean? Like luxurious, what, like whatever, things like that. It's like, I want people to know that like people with ADHD or people with any mental illness, most of us like 
we are well-meaning people. Like, we're not trying to be self-centered. Like, really, at the end of the day, like, we don't want to hurt you. And we're, like, going out of our way, like, trying so hard to to fit into what you want and to, like, again, I, I talk so much about, like, just I hate letting people down, whether it's a friend of mine, whether it's people at work and everything like that. And one thing I hate so much, and, like, sometimes my mom accuses me of this, of, like, you're not listening. And like, it gets under my skin so much. I'm like, no, I want to listen to you. I'm trying to listen to you. It's like the thoughts in my head are so fucking loud. And it's like, and I, I don't know how to manage and like prioritize like what I'm supposed to be listening to. And it's like, I just wish people, when they find out someone has ADHD, realize that a lot of times it's not just this little thing. It's not just being childish. It's sometimes it is really, really big. If you have a severe case like myself that they saw very, very early on, that's been lifelong for me. It's like, have a little bit more compassion, have a little bit more like patience and like you know, there is strengths in that. It's like, try to appreciate when I'm showing effort, like try to appreciate when I'm trying, like, even if it doesn't look like I'm trying, or it doesn't look like, you know, or maybe you're not noticing all these things that I'm trying to do. And it's like, again, it's just like being misunderstood. Like, Sometimes it feels like this, like, unluckiness. The misunderstood, and, yeah. Yeah, and I was saying before about, like, being, as far as linking back to, like, being bullied and feeling people feeling like people are against me, there's this feeling of, like, unluckiness of, like, oh, people are only around when I'm making mistakes. So, like, people aren't noticing when I'm trying. Like, a lot of times at work, there will be, like, an hour where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm doing so good right now. I'm multitasking. I haven't dropped anything. I haven't given out a wrong order. I've been be- being able to take orders. And then, of course, no one's around to see that or like, you know, my boss isn't there to see that or my coworkers aren't paying attention. And then as soon as they do come around, whether it's because I'm under pressure or, or just because, again, the timing is off, you know, I, I drop something or I, I, I misread like an order or something like that. And they're like, oh, did like you're doing so horrible. And I'm like, no, but like 15 minutes ago, I was doing good and not p- everyone can be consistently perfect for like Eight fucking hours. Um, what were you going to say? Sorry. <laughs> well, I was just going to say. Wanting to vent about this. I know. I, I understand. Yeah, I was just say No. Yeah, it, I think it. a lot of us, we do feel chronically misunderstood, you know? And something that I've learned in my life, it's a concept that a lot of ADHDers might be resistant to, but can be like the most life-changing thing in the entire world. And it's like radical responsibility, you know, and we don't like the word responsibility, but by the way, the way that I mean this is different than what we're thinking, right? So like by that, I mean, like, I know I can control myself and nobody else. I can't control what the people around me are thinking, but if I want them to be compassionate and understand me, I have to coach them how to interact with me. So like you were saying, your mom will be like, you're not listening. You know, I have coached my husband (laughs) to how to interact with me because the same thing happens. And at the same time, I get really angry. Like if he interrupts me because I'm like, great, now that thought's gone. Like I had a really important thing I was trying to do, you know, or I will train off thought. So like I've taught him, you know, this is how my brain works. And so if you do see the physical signs of me starting to trail off, can you physically, can you bring me back into that moment? Can you either tap me on the shoulder or can you stop talking? And do it kindly in a way that doesn't make me feel shamed. Yeah. Yes. Can you stop talking? And and when you stop talking, I'll notice and I'll be like, hold on, sorry. I just need to finish this thought train in my head and then I can 
like listen to what you're saying, but right now I'm so consumed with this thing. I can't listen. Or, you know, he's learned that like, if I'm doing something else, he knows to wait. But I've, I've had to express these things to him before they were like, you know, points of tension. And I've just realized that it's not about expecting other people to know our, our differences and how to treat them because it's about communicating it to them so that they understand. And then it's up to them whether or not they want to decide to obviously, you know, adopt that or try or have the compassion and sympathy and not everybody will. But it's again, my opinion that we should surround ourselves. The like most healing thing is to surround ourselves with those people who do care enough to understand, right? Like your sister, Sarah, and like, we've been friends for so long and she and I are a part of a friend group of like me, Jen, Melanie, and Seraphin. We've been friends for so long. You know, they're the type of friends that do care enough that when I shared this with them and I, I told them, listen, this is how I text and, and it hurts my feelings when you create a separate text group with you three, because I haven't responded in a while. You're not bothering me. I just need more time to respond and I will, you know? And so I communicated that to them like that, that was hurting my feelings. And I've just learned that I just have to understand and teach people what it's like to interact with somebody with ADHD and teach them the differences. Mm -hmm. And that's made a huge world of difference in my relationships and also like my own personal mental health, you know, and those people who don't care to change or don't care to understand, I'm like, you don't need to be in my life. You know, like I hate to say it, but if somebody's gonna, you know, if they're not going to understand that I get overwhelmed by texts or whatever it is, or that I, I, my brain doesn't work the same way as theirs. If they're not willing to accept that, then like, I'm like, it's not healthy for us to be in a relationship anymore. You know, it's like kind of knowing what's, what's best for us. And, and when it's time to part ways, I don't know. I don't know. That's, I went off on a tangent, but (laughs) that's my two cents on other people. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It sucks that it, it's a, it affects us in our private personal life and it affects us socially. It affects us at parties. Absolutely. It affects us at work, at home, everywhere. in relationships. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. It never like calms down. But I was going to say, and it's like, again, it's like, listen, we can't rewire our brain. Like, such unhelpful advice to just be like, oh, we'll just stop. Totally. Or like, oh, just change. Or like, oh, and it's just like, no, it's about other people granting us some amount of compassion and patience until I reach or I like I come up with a solution of like how we can both be happy and how we can both like have an understanding of each other and like and and, and I'm not always going to be perfect and everything and I'm never going to be exactly like what you want but right. you know I will learn to try to have a balance of like trying to do it as much your way and you me trying it's to do meeting it in the like, middle but also meeting in the middle yeah this is one of the I've never ever had the chance to talk so much about ADHD. This is like one of the best (gasps) conversations I've had. And I'm going to tell like my friends who have ADHD to watch this because it'll make them feel so validated because through this, because you're like more of an expert on this and you've done studying and everything like that. And so you have like real legitimate, like scientific information. And I think it'll make a lot of people feel validated. I'm in this actually this discord group. Do you know what that is? No, I've never heard of it. 
Discord is basically a lot of people go on there for gaming and you can go into like video chat and like you can talk to each other while you're gaming, but it also has just like text chat. And like a lot of times it's like you check in every now and again and I'm in one for my favorite band. It's like their little fan base and then we all kind of talk to each other and we talk to the band on there too. It's super cool. And a lot of people on there have ADHD and I'm going to go in and be like, you guys have to watch this yes. podcast episode yeah. about ADHD. It'll make you feel so much better. And I, I think for you, Autumn, too, if you feel called to it, you should totally find some like online groups of women with ADHD. I think it'll help you really understand like people do get you and there are people like you and there are people that will be obsessed with you when they meet you because they're just like you and they're like, there's somebody else like me. I haven't met anybody else like me, you know? And like, I think like we can really connect, you know, like, like I said, people with ADHD, we can connect in a different way. And I've met like one or two, I think I've met one person who did have the combination of bipolar with ADHD, which again, I don't know how rare it is, but I know that they work in strange ways together. Mm -hmm. But I was going to say, so I'm going to do the entry, the the ending sequence that I do at the end of my show. And then I want us to like take a picture together because I always like to put that on my story. But this has been an incredible episode about, unfortunately we didn't get into boobs as much as I wanted to and like (laughs) body image and stuff and like talking about, but maybe we can do that another time, maybe like next month or something or something like that. Cause I would love, I would, I would want you to be like a regular on the podcast low key because I didn't know (laughs) I would have this good of a time with you. Cause we've never like really sat down and like really talked to each other because of the age gap. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, yeah, we had a lot to talk about. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. It could, could have continued for hours. Um, Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been Runaway Brains with A&K. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Chelsea, if you want to say bye to my, my tons of listeners. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so good to talk to you, Autumn. And if you guys want to learn more about ADHD, you can follow me on Instagram yeah, on Instagram or TikTok, Bright Light Chels. And if you send me a message, if you listened and just want to say hey or ask a question more about ADHD, feel free. I answer every single message and I freaking love, like I said, meeting other women with ADHD. So, or anybody with ADHD. So, or if you relate at all. Anyway, thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to Runaway Brains with A and K. And we hope you all are A-OK.